to remain standing for the reading of God's word taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May be seated. Join me in praying that the Lord would be glorified. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your servant, Paul, whom you used to bring many people to a knowledge of Jesus. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've transformed lives from then and are doing so even this day. Father, by your Spirit, transform hearts and minds in this room and wherever else people are watching, especially this one who stands before you for his sins are many. Father, thank you for inviting this broke-legged dog to your table. Cause us to feast on your word today so that Christ would be the hallmark that everyone will know us by. Thank you for your people gathered together in worship at Covenant Presbyterian Church. May Jesus Christ have the preeminence in everything in his great name, I pray. Amen. Again, it's an honor for Chris and me, Christiana and me, to be here this day to worship with you and to proclaim his word. When I, she, Christiana and I graduated high school together and we lived not too far from each other, but she was a preacher's kid and I was a pagan. And shortly after I met Christiana, she said to me, when I asked her, what is it you want to do in life? And she said, I want to be a pastor's wife. And without, without any commitment from me as to being her boyfriend or fiance, our relationship was very platonic. But I had enough sense to know at that time. And I said to myself, I'm going to be a pastor. So that's how the Lord got me. He got me through Christiana by his Holy Spirit. We are so happy to be back here with you. And uh, please tell my friend, Pastor Tim Reed, how much of a joy it was to be with him this past Tuesday. And I miss his presence here today, but I know he's with us. Today I want to talk about driven by God's mercy, just unpacking these two verses. And it's not a mission Sunday, but I want to answer the question, how do we as the people of God live in light of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus? And so Paul begins Romans 12, uh, and, and in Romans 12, he begins what I call the application section of this entire epistle. He's answering the question, how shall we live since God in Christ Jesus has redeemed us from the penalty and the power of sin? Leslie Newbegin says, the only hermeneutic of the gospel, the only way people can understand the gospel 
is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, in these first two verses and later on, he is integrating creed with conduct, belief with behavior, and faith expressed in the way we live as Christians. What are you and I to do with what we already know about God? Well, we certainly do not want to live as in the days of Judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They discovered and we discovered, those of us who've lived longer than 15 years old, that ideas have consequences. Paul wants us to know today that the Lord wants us to be aware that our obedience to him is the result of what he has done in us not something we can manufacture on our own. Our obedience to the Lord is not something that we can manufacture on our own. It is all a work of God in Christ Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And so I've lived the last 40 years and change with the understanding that this broke leg dog has been invited to the Father's table. And so I eat with joy. And I'm the first one at the table. Because I know what he's done for me. So Paul is saying, let God's mercy drive you. Offer your bodies to him because of his mercy. And I like the NIV version when I, when I think of this text. And I want to reread it in the New International Version. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Mephibosheth's presence at King David's table is a vivid picture of what it means for you and me to be saved by God's grace. David says, as long as Mephibosheth is alive, he is invited to my table. The Lord told Israel as they were going into Babylonian captivity in your notes, in your printouts, in Jeremiah 33 and 17, as long as there is a seat, David's generation will always be there. I will always make a way for my people. We believe in, in this tradition that salvation is by grace, true faith, by grace alone, true faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, according to God's word alone, and for his glory alone. That's what we believe. Yet, history and experience, especially those of us who have children, have taught us that most Christians tend to live by works. We, we are saved by grace, and we know that. But what happens to us, what tends to happen to us, is we are either motivated by a sense of guilt 
We know, we, we know we've messed up and, and, and we, we cannot fathom that a God would love us even though we've messed up. Or we are or we, uh, bombarded by pride. We think we can do it. We think we are capable. Oh, I've been doing this for so many years. And we think we, think we are capable of doing it. And, and we struggle with either guilt or pride. But Paul says in Romans 11 and verse 6 that if it's by grace, it's no longer works. And if it's, by, if it's works, it's no longer grace. The, the two never shall meet. You cannot be saved by works. You cannot live your life as a Christian by works. It's all grace. So, what is your motivation for diligence in your walk with the Lord? God has gifted you and he's gifted us and he's calling us to the work of ministry and our goal is to build up his church, not only here in Little Rock, but his church. And I was so grateful that our brother Monroe prayed for all of the churches in this region and all of the churches in the denomination and all of the churches all over the world. And that's our goal. That's why Jesus calls us into himself. He's making, he's building a spiritual house and he's equipped you and me so that the church could be strengthened and built up. But here's something to consider, and I learned this by way of the Holy Spirit. God does not require our performance. He delights in our presence. You're sitting there as a Christian, and you want to make a difference, and you want to feel as if your life is counting, and the Lord wants you to know in Romans and throughout the Scriptures that he does not require your performance. He delights in your presence. And so we respond to him with that understanding in love and gratitude to God. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, God has raised up a radical community. He calls them brothers. He calls them the ecclesia. He calls them, you know, my, my, my favorite word in all the Bible is a Hebrew word. It's an ugly word. It's segula. It's his treasured possession. It's the thing God prizes most. God told me to tell you this morning as he looks upon you that he thinks you're cute. He loves you the way a grandfather loves his grandchildren. Even deeper than that. And so you, he, you are a, a radical community, a mighty army of believers on this earth called to be saints. And he's done this in your life. Because, he, because your, your converted life has made a difference and will make a difference and is making a difference in this earth. James Boyce says, changed people change everything. You can, by God's spirit and God's leading, you and I can be a part of changing everything around us. And so it stands to reason that all believers have the same vocation. To be a holy, committed, and loving people in this present evil age. And so Paul says, I urge you, I, I'm begging you, but I'm also speaking with authority as an apostle. I urge you, based on God's mercies. And so he writes in chapter 1 through 11 
uh, he explains to us that the gospel is God's mercy to the inexcusable and contemptible sinners. That's all Paul was doing. Paul, Paul says the gospel is God's power unto salvation. And then he goes in and then he explains total depravity. And he explains why we are total, totally depraved and how we are totally depraved. And why in our situation we can't not please God because we don't even want God. But he gave us his son to die for us. And thus justifying us freely by his grace. And out of this rich mercy, God has given us his Holy Spirit. And our brother Paul knows of no greater incentive to a holy living than a deep contemplation of God's mercy. And so he says to you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Show up every moment of your life and contemplate what God has done for you. Note that he didn't say offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But it's one living sacrifice. It's communal. We long to worship together as the people of God. That's why one day, as we sang, it is well with our souls, with my soul. One day we will all be gathered around the crystal sea where our longing will turn into concrete reality. And so we do it together. And for Paul, this offering is the only sensible, logical, and right response to God in light of his self-giving mercy found only in Christ. This living sacrifice is not to be offered to the priest, nor in the church building. This sacrifice is to be offered in our daily lives as the people of God together. We encourage one another to offer your bodies. And we get so embroiled in the, in the things of this life. And we, we need to remind one another, hey, we are the king's table. I must admit that sacrifice is a very unpleasant word in a world where selfish desires reign supreme. No one wants to be a sacrifice. Actually, people do not want to sacrifice even a little thing. We want to acquire and accumulate things instead. Nevertheless, this is where the rubber meets the road in the life of a Christian. This is the ultimate proof of true love. This is pleasing to God. Just, just showing up and saying, God, here I am. Have your way in my life. It is an act of love. Also, we are called to offer our new life in Christ. Not our old sinful life, which was dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. You couldn't, you couldn't come to God and say, just as I am without work. You couldn't do that. You were dead. He doesn't want your old sinful life. You know what he did with it? He came in, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross. And, uh, and he acquired the righteousness by, by way of keeping the law in the flesh, and then he brought inherent righteousness with him. So he doesn't want your sinful bodies. He's paid it all already. He's fixed it eternally. And some people think that, some people think that God needs them. 
And so they, 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 they give their time or they give their money or they even serve in some religious cause. But only one who has truly been born again by the power of God can give back to God that new spiritual life in Christ because it is in Christ alone that God is pleased with alone. So for Paul, presenting our bodies to God is an act of spiritual worship. John Stott says, no worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. God demands our bodies because he wants visible, lived out bodily evidence that our lives are built on his mercy. In our Sunday school, we, we learn one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures, Ephesians 3 and 10. God blesses the church and uses the church so that the, so that the, 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 the invisible world can give praise to God. Peter says, the angels inquire into our salvation. God wants to do a work on this earth so that men and women, boys and girls may marvel, so that the demons in hell and even the angels in glory may go, wow, God, you're good. He wants to bless your socks off in southern parlance. And then when Paul used the word bodies, I can imagine many in his audience must have been shocked because in Paul's day, the popular saying was that based on Plato, the body is a tomb from which the human spirit longed to escape. And Paul says, no, no, no. God's done something to the tomb. God in Christ Jesus rose from the tomb. And now your bodies are, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and one of the reasons why Paul wants you to give your bodies to, to the Lord is because of what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, your tongue is, is, like, is like the tongue of a serpent. Your, your feet are swift to shed blood. Your, your hands and, I mean, everything about us, we are totally depraved. And, and, and Paul, who was once oh, uh, oh, oh, Osama bin Laden, has now become Ben Hayden. You know him, the former pastor at, at, at First Prayers in Chattanooga. That's what Paul, that's what God does to us. He who once destroyed the faith now believes. People looked at me and said, you preaching? I'm like, yeah, go figure. <laughs> go figure. I did, a, I did a funeral for one of Christiana's family members last week in Nassau, Bahamas. And his mother, this 41-year-old died. By the way, this 41-year-old died, lived in West Palm Beach. He died of, of, of COVID-19. Chris's 102-year-old father who lives in Nassau and a 94-year-old mother who lived in Nassau both contracted the virus, both were unvaccinated, her mother needed a respirator, and her mother is alive and well. Back home. I don't understand. I don't get it. But I preached at his funeral and his, his mother says, you know, I, I wish he was, I, I wish he was, I wish he was this, I wish he was that. I, you know, he didn't really live like he loved Jesus all the time. Nobody's perfect, that's what folks say. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know anyone who's perfect. And her father is a 102-year-old is a, is a Baptist preacher. He's retired. 
And I reminded them that the same God who saved her father is the same God who saved her son. It's all by grace. We are totally depraved. When I was a sinner serving King Sin, I served him in every aspect of my being and in my physical body. Now that I have a new slave master, I serve him with every aspect of my being and in my physical body. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, let every act of your living body be a manifestation that God is your treasure, that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 and 4, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so we, we, we love his character and then we regard his authority. Look at verse 2 verse 5 he says be not conformed to the pattern of this world you and I as, as, as the people of God we are called to resist the conformity to worldliness and we are called to embrace the transformation that comes in Christ alone conformity is something that happened to us outwardly transformation happens to us inwardly Boyce was one of my professors, and again, he says, do not let the age in which you live force you into its scheme of thinking and behaving. Don't feel as if you have to dance to the music. J.B. Phillips, I like how he says it, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Behind it all, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, there is a nasty, filthy, stinking, dirty, scheming demon and his hosts of demons who, 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 who have charted a course for this world. We don't want to follow them. Don't be squeezed into them. He's calling you and me to holiness. And Paul warning his warning is against our becoming like the chameleon, which takes its color from its surroundings. Let your conduct exhibit your true inner Christian nature. When he talks about being transformed, he's saying it is by the Holy Spirit himself. And the Holy Spirit accomplished this by renewing our minds in God's word. Let, let, let's, let's talk. Let, let's be real with one another for a moment. You and I, we are indigenous to this world. This is all we know. We are human beings. We are indigenous to this world, but we are also strangers and pilgrims. We experience confrontation with the world, but there's also missionary, what I call missionary adaptation. Sometimes we get along just to go along. You and I have been separated from the world, but called to participate in the culture around us. We are in the world, but not of the world. 
There is the sense where you become all things to all people. Yet Paul is not expecting you to be conformed to this truth. Why? Because the Lord is not finished with his great plan to extend his transforming presence throughout all of his creation. And so in his goodness to us, he has graciously invited you and me to participate in this amazing drama of bringing dead people to life in Christ. And, the, and, and you know what the reality is? He doesn't need us. He sees us as his dear children, and he delights in our presence always. And he says, come with me, and let me show you what I'm doing on this earth. And so Chris and I find it easy to leave. Not too easy. We find it easy to say yes to God, and then halfway down the journey, we, we go, God, we left our children, and we left our grandchildren. Why'd you let us do this? And then I remember there's coming a day when the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. I, we, we were telling some friends in Memphis and we are telling you this. One of the things I do not like about being uh, a traveling Christian is I, I, I don't like saying goodbyes. I'm not used to saying goodbyes. It hurts sometimes. It hurts all the time. I'm going to have to say goodbye this afternoon to people I met many years ago who were so who was so important in, in my journey in life. And that's been the story of our lives for the last four decades. And that's your life too. <laughs> and then we'll say hello on the other side one day. Amen? And so we, we regard his authority. He's the potter, we're the clay, he's shaping us. And we, we reject any conformity to be squeezed into a mold that is not of him. And we do it because we have zeal for his glory. George Truitt says, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Often we focus on the will of God as if it was something we discover in a secret place, hidden away by God. But really, knowing God's will is really just a subset of knowing God. Proverbs 3 and 5. Spells it out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. As long as you and I refuse to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and insist on living the ways of the world, you and I can forget about knowing God's will for our lives. We'll never know. So do not get hung up on what is God's specific will for us. Well, I'm not going to do anything until I know exactly what God wants me to do. Yeah, you keep it up. <laughs> nice knowing you. <laughs> Be seeing you as I mosey along. The God who predestined you and me before the foundation of the world, he does have specific plans for us. And that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. You, you and I, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. Which good works? Good works which he has foreordained before the foundations of the world. God knew that this little Bahamian boy would grow up to become a man who would travel the world. Not just to see the world, but to tell people about Jesus. I didn't. I didn't have a clue. And I still don't have a clue. I just love him and I follow him. So far, so good. So, we do know 
that God wants every one of us to look exactly like Jesus. That's what he says in Romans 8 and 28 and 29. He's done this so that he could conform us to the image of his son. So he's working in your hearts and minds right now. You're going through stuff and you're wondering why. And God is saying, I'm, just a minute, I'm making you to look like Jesus. Not the Jesus glorified on the clouds, but the Jesus crucified. And, and Paul says he's doing this so that you could prove, test. And, and it's like examining gold ore to determine if it was genuine. God wants to do a work in your life so that you could, so that you could examine it and go, you know something, God, this is, this is, this, this is all you. That's, that's what he really wants. He wants from me and you to say, you know, this is all you. I couldn't do it any better than this. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about discovering God's will. And, and it is all, also all about proving and approving that God's will is always good. It's always acceptable and it's always perfect. And so for Paul and, and all the saints who have gone on before, this is service that makes sense. That's why he calls it reasonable service. It involves our bodies, our minds, our reason, and our intellect. It's not mechanical. It's not automatic. And I must admit that I'd rather, and I, and, and I think you and I alike in this way, we'd rather give money to God or we'd rather volunteer some of our time. It's difficult to give God your, your whole self. That's scary. But here's something you and I always need to understand about the Christian life. The Lord wants you and me. He really does. We're the ones for whom Christ died. Seven times in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he prayed for those whom you have given me. Jesus wants you. He wants you to be with him. He's, He's not as bad as some people say he is. He's safe. He's good. My friends, we're the ones whom God loves. We're the ones whom he, de- he really uh, desires. He delights in our presence. He doesn't require our performance. You know, my brother said earlier, Derek talked about the, the water and in your confession of sin, I just praise God for it. You know, we, we sang a song, feeding on the filth around me till my strength satisfied was almost gone. Long my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. The world has plenty to offer you and, and me as Christians, at least for a short time. The sad truth is when, when you and I drink at the world's fountain, We're drinking polluted water that cannot satisfy our soul. I had the privilege of attending a funeral service for a man that I'd known for several years, that I'd ministered to. And I realized at his funeral service that the Lord used that man to bring Jim Elliott to Christ. I felt like a little boy in the presence of Christ. And here's what Jim Elliott said many years ago. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot understood what Paul is saying in Romans 12. He 
as a cloud of witness. He is a member of that cloud. He rises up and he tells you today that you and I are called to live out our faith in a very ungodly world. We must always consider Romans 1 through 11, the absolutes, in order to realize Romans chapter 12. Our purpose on earth is to glorify God and, and to enjoy him forever, and we do this by fulfilling this command, by just presenting our bodies to him. I urge you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, be mindful of God's mercy shown to us and, and just surrender to the Holy Spirit as we rise out of our pitiful state and present our bodies as living sacrifices because the love of Christ compels us. I could imagine Mephibosheth limping down the hallways to the dining table. I could imagine this broken-legged dog struggling, wondering if it was David's will for him to be at the table. No, I don't think so. I think Mephibosheth woke up every morning of his life with the understanding that he was loved and that everything that he needed was provided for him. And with joy, he made it to the king's table every day. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the king of your soul and the love of your soul, he has set tables all over Little Rock. He has set tables all over Arkansas. He has set tables all over the Bahamas, all over this world. And he is inviting you to come to him and feast with him. It's not even a sacrifice. I can only imagine what you have to face right now. But take it from this preacher from the islands. The food is good. The company is even better. May the Lord enable you to say yes to him every day of your life. The one who promised that he will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies, in the presence of everything that harasses you, in the presence of everything that frustrates you, be mindful of the table that is laid out before you. And come to Jesus. In his name I pray. Let the church say amen. Our closing hymn is found in your bulletins. More love to thee, O Christ. Lord, teach us how to love you more. Let us stand and make this song our prayer as we continue to worship him together.